Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have a phenomenal conversation to share with you. This time I had the opportunity to speak with a man named George Thomas, or better known on Twitter as Quintus Curtius. Uh, he has a great Twitter feed and I've always been always enjoyed it. Uh, in diving into his background, he was a MIT graduate, a Marine veteran, as well as, uh, you know, he has tons of experience in translating ancient texts, which is something that is quite fascinating to me and I feel uh, is more valuable now than it has ever been before. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. I had a great time picking his brain about these various subjects uh, and hearing his insight on, you know, sort of the state of masculinity today, as well as some of his opinions on you know, what we can do to uh, improve our society. It was a great time and I think you're going to love it. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Quintius Curtius. Hey, Quintus, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Hey, thank you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. I'm a, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So for the audience out there who maybe is not familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about yourself and how you got to this point? Yeah, um, it's kind of an interesting journey. I'm, I'm basically a writer and a translator, and um, I've got nine... Uh, published books out there, uh, five translations of of, uh, of Latin classics and and four uh, essay collections. And I started writing in um, in 2013. And um, it's hard to explain how, how I really started. It just got to I guess I just got to a point in my life where I had I had things that were inside me that um, either had to come out or I guess a volcano was gonna was just gonna spew it forth in, in, in one way or another. So, so I just started to to do that, and and you know one thing led to another, and and um, I um, my my real name is George Thomas, and I I, I practice law in, in the Kansas City area. I, I do bankruptcy and criminal defense, but writing is is uh, I guess my my uh, uh, avocation, <laughs> not my vocation. So, got it. That's I mean. I'm actually really shocked to hear that you just started writing in 2013. I mean, it seems like, you know, now it's been, you know, almost a decade, but it still feels like just yesterday. And for to have nine published books is, you know, I think for, for many writers, they could write their entire lives and not, not publish that many. It must have been yeah, quite the volcano. I know it's, it's, um, it's, 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 you know, I, um, honestly, this is going to sound like it's a, it's just sort of a, a trite comment, but, um, it, it amazes me myself. I, I I never I never had any real ambition to be uh, a writer. You know, I'm I'm 52 right now, and um, I never really had growing up. You know, all through college, and I, I I graduated from college in 1990. I graduated from from MIT in 1990. I was in the Marine Corps for a number of years, um, about 
five years of, of active duty altogether. Then I got out, went into the reserves. I went to law school, started practicing law. I never had any ambition or intention of being a writer. And then all of a sudden, I guess, just the way circumstances in life, things I went through, uh, uh, experiences. I mean, I'd always been a, a big reader, but uh, somehow everything just gelled. And I guess the, the lesson there is that your personality is going to change as you as you get older. People, uh, life has a way of reinventing you and and recasting you in a different mold every so many years. That that, that seems to be the case, you know, in my view, anyway. What is it, uh, or where did the initial understanding of you know to be able to translate ancient texts? Where did that begin for you? Because that, to uh, me, sounds like, you know, that's like rocket science. Well, it, it, you know, honestly, Patrick, it, it um, you know, there are gatekeepers out there that try to make these things seem to be harder than they are. This, this, is, this is the real the real way to look at it. I had always been interested in languages uh, growing up. I'd, I had, uh, you know, when I was in the military, I I'd lived in Japan for a couple of years. Uh, after I got out, I'd, I'd uh, been a language student in Korea for a year. I, I had always had a, a real fascination with the spoken written word. So, I mean, I, I inherently had an interest in these and, and maybe a, a facility in this area. But um, the Latin language is really just, it, it's a language like any other. And it was spoken by human beings. Uh, it was spoken by soldiers, sailors, prostitutes, uh, politicians, merchants, scholars uh, in Rome and all through uh, Europe. So it's not some impossible barrier to, to surmount. It really just comes down to, to, to desire and to the right teaching methods and to um, just how it's presented. And I, I really believe that. I, I mean, Latin in many ways is just an old form of say Spanish or Italian. Um, and uh, it, it's something that I, I enjoyed and I spent many, many years studying it. And I just, I, I felt like this knowledge, a lot of the philosophical classics uh, were, was not being passed on to the younger generation in a way that I felt was appropriate. So I just said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. You know, if no one else is, is gonna uh, present it. I, I wanted to present, say the, the philosophical classics of Cicero or the military classics of Sallust or Cornelius, Cornelius Nepos in a way that I would have wanted when I was a kid or I was a student. I wanted to write the kinds of books that um, I, I wanted, you know, that were explanatory, that had footnotes, that had introductions, that had forewords, that demystified these things. Because these are not cathedrals of, um, of academics. These books were meant to be for the common man. They, they were written, designed for the average person, and, and somehow we got away from that. And so that was my desire to, to get this stuff out to uh, young men and young women so that they could benefit from what was inside. I mean, I think that's incredible, really, because, I mean, uh, you know, the, the first time I ever considered, you know, you, you, you see translation or you see the classics up on the shelves at a bookstore and, you know, it takes some time to realize that it's can the what you're going to get out of that is going to vary depending on who actually translated it and uh you know there's one thing that i read once i think it was actually in benjamin franklin's autobiography and he mentioned yeah. there was just one little line about how you know 
reading, not being able to read Cicero in the native tongue uh, is like a crime, you know, and that it's much better if you can read it in the, you know, in the Latin. And it was something that sort of stuck with me in the sense that it's like, wow, you know, it's, this is something that the founding fathers, many of them could speak Latin. Uh, you know, there's been many great men in history that can, uh, you know, speak many different languages. And it's something that seems to be completely absent from, you know, modern day America, most people are, you know, can speak their native language, maybe English, or, you know, maybe just part of another language, but we don't really tap into this ancient knowledge and this ancient language as much as we could. That, that's exactly correct, Patrick, that that's exactly true. And let me tell you, uh, yes, of course, it, it always is preferable, uh, you know, to, to read any classic texts or, or work of literature in the original tongue, if possible, of course. Uh, no one is going to deny that. However, the realities of the world are such that we can't learn every language. We we have to we have to rely. I mean, realistically, for most people, learning a couple is 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 going to be a, a job enough in itself. And, sure. and, and you're absolutely right. The right translation makes all the difference. The right translation, Patrick, makes all the difference. I found that out myself when I tried to read some of the German classics, Oswald Spengler, I literally, I couldn't make any sense of it. I said, this is just, this is just awful. And, um, you know, the right translation can, can bring everything to, to life. And that's why I, I wanted to, um, you know, produce translations that were modern, that were current, that were not just drowning in Victorian. A, a lot of the, a lot of these texts that are out there, these classic texts, the, the, the most recent translations were like a hundred years ago and they're wow. just not, they don't they don't resonate with the modern reader they, the sentences are too long uh they're tedious the, the, they're just they're just very very archaic but but let me tell you that they're one of the biggest things that need to be overcome are the psychological barriers of learning uh you have the ability within you patrick to to learn anything that plato or aristotle or cicero could teach you uh if only it was presented to you in the right way. There's nothing inherently uh, insurmountable about these concepts. And it's just that it seems to be that way because certain people try to erect all these barriers to make themselves feel good, I think. I, in many ways, it's an ego tripping thing rather than just get the information out to people, get it out there, get it out there. Uh, so don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever be enthusiasm don't ever let your enthusiasm be dampened by that go explore uh slash through the jungle with your machete and and you know uh, take on the russian novels or some um you know you know brazilian literature or spanish literature or italian you can do it you can do it the worst thing you can do is to is to be intimidated by bullshit that people try to throw out there to make you feel bad I love that message. I mean, it's really the nature of what inspired me to to name the podcast Knowledge Without College, you know, is, uh, you know, the idea that anyone can understand these things, that there isn't uh, any barrier to understanding, you know, it's really, you don't have to be an academic, you don't have to go for your doctorate to understand, no. uh, you know, these classics or anything like that. It's really all accessible to all of us uh, at any given moment. Yeah, they took, if you look at history, uh, you know, Patrick, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, uh, founders of different philosophical schools, say the Stoics, Zeno the Stoic, or the Epicurus, or Pythagoras, or Diogenes, these people, they took guys right off the street. I mean, they, there was no, 
I mean, yes, the, you, you do need to get acquainted with certain terminology. You do need to get acquainted with uh, definitions and ways of thinking. But it's like, you know, honestly, it, it's like learning a certain nomenclature. Once you get into the habit of it, it's it's um, it, it becomes second nature. It all depends on, you know, how much time you want to devote to it. So I, I guess that's the that's really the important thing. And, and, and there's something always to be gained from it. You know, you, you, you really, it really is worth the payoff. I mean, you may, the, the great thing about classic works is whether it's English classics or whatever language, you know, you, you read them, you'll draw on them. Uh, you may not like them at first, but they will stick, they'll somehow stick in your, your subconscious and you'll, you'll come back to them later. You'll associate it with different experiences later on as you travel. I don't know if you like to, if you're a traveler or not, but you'll, you'll see things, you'll observe things and it all, it'll all come together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've definitely noticed that, uh, you know, that's one thing I recommend to people often is just, you know, just read whatever you want, whatever you can get through, because, you know, even if it doesn't, even if you don't understand the whole thing to the fullest extent, the first pass, uh, it's, yeah, it is lodged somewhere in your subconscious. It's sort of splashed around on your brain for enough time that, you know, over time, years later, it might come back to the surface and you might remember some bits and pieces of it. Like it's in there somewhere. So you can draw from it, whether you fully, you know, examined every single word and chapter uh, of a Absolutely, book, you know, man. it'll come Absolutely. back. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, read everything. I mean, I love, I love, you know, junk fiction just as much as anybody. I love true crime stories. I love, uh, I don't know, uh, horror, st- <laughs> horror stories, detective novels, read everything. And, you know, uh, the more you have, you know, good things going inside your ears, uh, the more you can associate things and, and you'll, you'll find that it'll, it'll congeal in ways that you never thought possible. You know? Absolutely. So I want to ask you again about sort of, uh, you know, something related to your translation. So uh, behind me here, I have a uh, translation of the Odyssey by T.E. Lawrence. And, oh, wow. you know, this was something where I, I tried to read the Odyssey once and it was, it was painful, like the translation I was working on or trying to read. And this one stood out because, you know, I had seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia, you know, he had gone through quite an Odyssey himself. And I later learned that he had translated the Odyssey sort of and, and carried it with him, uh, you know, on that whole journey. And wow. so it sort of gives him that, unique experience to be able to relay the story of the odyssey you know having lived through you know his sort of his own version of it um and you know i hope this doesn't put you on the spot but i want to hear from your own experience you know when you do these translations what is that backing for you that you know uh instills you with the authority to really deliver these messages in a modern and impactful way uh good question um uh, what really inspires me Honestly, Patrick, it's 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 love, for lack of a better word. I I love, I love the material. I I love the Latin language. I don't know Greek. I am not a uh, I am not a scholar of Greek. I, mean, I can I can read the words. I know the alpha. I can read the words and I can understand the vague. But I I am not. I've never translated. I'm not a uh, Greek is not my thing. But uh, I know Latin, obviously. And what what gives me the um, what spurs me on, what gives me uh, is, you know, frankly, I, I've, I've put in the hours. I mean, I don't think 
people really understand the amount of time that it takes. I mean, I, like for example, um, on moral ends, Cicero's on moral ends, you know, it took me a year and a half, like a, a couple hours a day for a year and a half to, to get that out. Uh, Tusculan Disputations, which I'm working on right now, again, the same thing, a, a couple hours a day for a, over a year. I mean, it, 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 it takes a long, long time. And to put in that kind of commitment, you've either got to be crazy or you've, you've either, or, or you either or you either have to be in love. And I just, I don't know, I just feel like, um, I feel like I, it's almost like a proselytizing zeal. Uh, it's a it's a it's a sense of mission. It's a sense of um, of wanting to. There's nothing. I mean, I in many ways I have a, a sort of a, a teacher mentality. I I love I love it when readers they say, "Boy, I read you know this and it meant something to me and it I associated with my life and I I I just I just really get off on that. I it, it makes me feel. Or when someone says, "You know what? I I tried." I had given up on Cicero. I had tried different translations of On Duties, but yours was the only one that made sense. The only one that I could understand was yours. And I'm, I just feel like, you know, that that really makes me feel great. Or, you know, when a professor uses my my books in his classroom or something, I I feel a real sense of pride. So I, I guess I just, I guess, I just, I guess I'm just a person who loves knowledge for its own sake. And, um, Beyond that, I just feel like we have to, this knowledge is being lost. I, I, I guess there was also a sense of anger that I had, that I felt like a lot of classical literature was being converged and was being used for nefarious purposes by people who did not have the interests of the material at heart. I felt like there were people that were uh, talking and writing about these books that weren't actually talking about the material, but were talking about their own agendas and their own, um, uh, you know, uh, they were projecting their own opinions onto the works rather than teaching what was actually in the books. And I found that very objectionable. So I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to, uh, you know, I I'm going to do what has to be done here to, to get this information out there. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful combination of emotions to drive that work, you know, between the love and the anger for that, uh, for what you just mentioned there. I'm, I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, what, what were the nefarious purposes that you saw and, and, well, you know, like I just, I just think that in, in a general sense, I find in, in my view, again, this is just my, my personal position. Sure. I've found that the humanities in general over the past 30 years or so, uh, there's been this, um, there's been this this tendency, at least in American schools, to to project onto them this these this sort of value judgments and uh, you know uh, political conclusions, and rather than just studying what they say and just neutrally presenting what, looking at the good things, now it's all about uh, negative uh, reading negative things into these works, uh, reading evil uh, intentions into them. Find, you know, basically, look, you can go back in history and you can find, you can always find objectionable, by today's standards, objectionable um, sentiments, opinions, worldviews, uh, or you can take the mature view, which is let's study these works. Let's study something based on what, 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 
what people knew at the time, what, what, what frame they were operating within, within at the time. So, um, yeah, I, I just found it objectionable that, that the humanities were not being taught for their own sake, but rather as part of this, I don't know, this sort of let's, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's reshape, let, let's use this as a way to advance a political agenda, which I, I found uh, dishonest and objectionable. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think we're seeing that sort of across the board, this politicization <laughs> of, yeah. uh, of really a- anything in, in history, you know, whether it be American history or ancient history and sort of uh, looking through it through a modern lens as opposed to using context as far as, you know, what right. the people- Everything is pathologized. Everything now is pathologized. Everything is hyper-analyzed. Uh, no one is given the benefit of the doubt. Everything is project. So I, I just I found that uh, I, I found that sort of um, uh, polemicism, for lack of a better word, the, 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 they're polemicists. A lot of these teachers are not. I mean, they're they're teaching you what they want you to think about the the book rather than the book itself. Like for example, the Odyssey. My exposure to the Odyssey and the Iliad. Uh, I, I found it useful to listen to an audio book first. That way it, it, it uh, kind of uh, gives you, breaks it in a little bit easier and then maybe look at the text itself later. But again, you know, rather than just enjoy it as a, as a work that was meant to be enjoyed, we have to read all these things into it. You know, all these, uh, you know, um, you know, these, these uh, just, you know, you know, you, you know what I mean? The, the catch words, the, the usual catch yeah. words and the, and the boogeyman and, and I, you know, I was like, look, man, you know, just um, it's very dishonest. It's very destructive. And that's why I think many more people are doing what you're advocating, which is learn on their own or, or they're, they're going to opt out of having some someone tell them what to think. People want to people want to draw their own conclusions. Yeah, I mean, I, I always uh, tend to, you know, it's if it's something, let's say the Odyssey or something, it's like try to just read it. And it's really a, a, an amazing thing to be able to connect just with yourself and the text and remove all other opinions and ideas about it. Uh, and then, you know, after the fact, if you want to then Google it, you know, hear what other people are saying, you know, hear other takes, uh, you know, the goods, the bads, all those things, at least you had that opportunity to sort of have sort of a, uh, clean yeah. slate going into it as opposed to any conflicting ideas or opinions on your mind as you go through it the first time. Yeah, I, I agree, man. You know, you've got to, you know, you know, one of the, one of the joys, I guess the intellectual joys of reading is to find out what's actually in these books. I think if people yeah. actually took the time to open up these books and look at what was, they might find that what's in them is not what they thought was and they might be a little bit more entertaining than they thought they were they might be have they might have a sense of humor they might have a sense of depth uh, 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 or, or they might offer something uh when you know uh people may have thought that they they, they were just they were just dull and dry uh works so you know you've got it but you've got to be adventurous a lot of people are just not adventurous they just don't want don't want to know and that's always been the case you're never going to change that some people just they just don't want to you know, they, for whatever reason, they just don't like, you know, they, it's, it's, it's not their thing, you know? Sure. And I mean, I, I think that raises an interesting point, which, you know, I feel you're uh, quite passionate about on Twitter, which is, you know, sort of the modern, the, <laughs> the modern uh, 
situation when it comes to men, masculinity, adventurousness, and sort of tapping into that sense that people used to have compared to, uh, you know, maybe how it's, uh, how it's going yeah. today. Yeah. My, yeah, my, uh, my Twitter antics are, um, I guess I have different facets. I, on my website, I try to be serious. I try to keep things on my site, you know, the serious writing, but on Twitter, Twitter is more, uh, I guess, for just, um, uh, nonsense and immature humor and, and, having fun with the guys i guess but yeah the soy if you're talking about the <laughs> the uh, the soy memes uh yeah we, look man look who can who can deny and and you know i, I don't know how old you are but you're going to see as you get older you're going to see that things are seem to be getting more and more soy for lack of certainly more, you know there's just more more um oh gosh you know how do you explain it just uh, men, ma male activities are being more and more constricted. Masculinity is being more and more shamed and marginalized and denigrated in, in many ways. And, you know, the price of this is going to be paid someday. I mean, we, we you know, we, we have to really face, I, mean, I think we've already arguably faced a reckoning, I think, with a lot of the, the, uh, the recent crises that we have, uh, I, I think the, the lack of leadership, um, you know, sooner or later, we're going to face a reckoning and it's not going to be pretty uh, because these, uh, you cannot simply marginalize a whole category of your population and tell them that they're not worth anything, that their values don't mean anything, that we can make men uh, just uh, copies of women. It's not going to work. It's not going it, to, it, it's impossible. And sooner or later, that's going to become apparent. Um, and I guess the question is, you know, when is that going to happen? And no, no, nobody, nobody really knows. I mean, I, I would go as far as to say that it's happening right now. And, uh, you know, we're seeing it on, you know, multiple fronts where it's the, you know, I think men are being urged to be more feminine. I think women are also being urged to be more masculine. There's sort of this yeah. weird gray area in the middle that is unnatural for people to fit into. And, uh, you know, I think you can get in trouble for saying that, uh, but you know, when you just look, I, you know, I, you wondered how old I am. I'm actually 26, exactly half your age. And wow. I've seen this happen uh, <laughs> over time as well, uh, where, you know, it's wow. definitely like, even since I was younger to express masculine values and things like that is more frowned upon, uh, both, you know, in sort of public life or in business or anything like that, you know, you have to, you know, I own a business in California. You have to be very soft around the edges. You, you have to be very careful with every employee. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's more liability, uh, you know, for taking risk than ever before. Um, oh, yeah. and yeah. I think sort of, you know, when you look at the consequences of it, I think we're living through it right now where people are generally miserable and, uh, there's, there's, you, you look around and we don't really have leadership. We don't have leaders in, in politics. The, you know, our leaders in entertainment are not really, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they're, they shine the brightest if you looked on a historical context. And I think it sort of leaves us in a, a very confusing situation as a, as a, oh, you know, yeah. as no, a you're totally, well, you're very, I, you're totally right, Patrick. And for, for a 26 year old guy, you get your, you definitely have your head screwed on. That's <laughs> good. To, no, man, I, dude, if you could have, if you could have known what it was like to be in California in the eighties, man, I mean, I, I mean, it, it was a different world. It was a different world. I mean, LA in the eighties or just this, the country in general in the eighties, it, it just, I mean, the stories, you know, I mean, the stuff that it was just, it was just very different. And, 
Um, you know, that, like you said, that polarity that we used to have between men and women, that the feminine, the feminine traits and the masculine traits, that polarity is, is actually being, as you said, is being shamed and, and marginalized. I, mean, I was just, I was in Brazil last week and I, I go there frequently and, you know, it was just great, you know, uh, you know, uh, God bless Latin America, South America. It's just, it, it still preserves a lot of that traditional polarity, but, um, you know, who knows, man, I, I think we, we just got to keep fighting. We got to keep, we can't, the worst thing we can do is, is, uh, is to give up. We, we've got to keep the, the, the torches lit. We've got to keep the, the fires burning sooner or later. Uh, people are going to realize one way or another, uh, you know, how things need to change and, uh, one way or another, it's going to happen. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a cycle. You hear that, uh, phrase, you know, that, uh, hard times make, you know, for strong people, strong men, yeah. uh, you know, weak, you know, easy times make for weak men, whatever. Uh, you know, I think we're all, like sort of living in the a stage of that cycle where, yeah. you know, we're, we're bound to find out one way or another, you know, uh, and I think, you know, it's interesting to see co- other countries and the United States sort of go back and forth on our sort of collective mindset on these things. Because I think, you know, if you look at a country like Russia and I, I think it all, it has to do with, you know, what happened to the people that are alive today where, you know, like if you look at Russia, like they had uh, world war two at their doorstep in their country, they had, you know, all the challenges afterwards with Stalin and so forth. And so they're sort of in a different stage of the cycle compared to the United States where we didn't have violence, uh, you know, on our shores, you know, over the past four generations. Uh, and you look at the, you sort of the accumulated experience of all the people. And when you look at the, the generations, you know, my generation and above that are still alive today, it's been a very comfortable existence, probably more so than ever before in human history. So we're sort of in uncharted waters there. That's right. And it can't last, man. It just can't. And sooner or later, I mean, my ideas are probably not uh, clearly not the mainstream. I mean, I, as you probably, if you know me from Twitter, I, I, I believe in a mandatory draft. I think that we need to harden our young guys uh, in ways that uh, have never been, you know, have been totally neglected. You know, we've got, I, I just, I believe in the reimposition of um, sort of a classical type cur- curriculum for education in, term, in, other, in other words, training the mind and the body, you know, um, martial training. Uh, we've just, we've just got to do it. Uh, and, you know, people will say, oh, that's totally impractical and feasible, but, you know, but is it really though, or, or is it just a matter of priorities? And I think the, this pandemic has presented us with real opportunities where, you know, school, the school system is basically just abandoned. It's has just thrown these kids to the wolves, has just abandoned its responsibility to educate because of the fact they want to hide behind COVID and they want to use that as an excuse not to go open schools. Um, so, you know, people are going to draw their own conclusions. I think there's going to be more homeschooling. I think that we're going to see a lot of alternate educational systems. You may already agree with that. I, I think, certainly. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we're seeing uh, an educational revolution on the horizon, like we've never seen before in hundreds of years. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, just uh, just recently, I had a guy named Chrisman Frank on the podcast who uh, has this synthesis school, which is a you know gamified learning platform. It's you know right now it's kind of just like one class a student would do once a week, but uh, it's you know completely it's it's more engaging, it's more skill based, it's not age based. It's uh, it's a very interesting idea, and I think like you said, COVID sort of opens the door to people needing to do these things out of necessity, which, you know, as horrible as the pandemic is, I think it's something, you know, it's created this opportunity to reassess uh, our values and reassess, you know, sort of the trajectory that we've been on with our public education system. I know, I know it's, uh, it's going to have to happen. You know, it's a, it's a, maybe it's a, a conversation that was a long time in the making. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, again. I'm a, I'm a big believer in along those lines in physical physical books, hard copies of books. Um, electronic is fine, audio is fine, but you've got to have physical copies because um, you know the, the 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 digital world is less permanent and less reliable than people think. Certainly, I mean, again, it's 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 new. You know, I think you know it's it's so in our face that we assume that it's been there forever. Um, you know, much as a, you know, 10 year old today would assume that iPhones have always been around, but, uh, this, you know, digital world is, it's like a, a whole another layer of reality that just, you know, popped yeah. in overnight. You know, it's been, uh, you know, just a tiny, tiny fraction of the time that, you know, even the United States has been around. If we had this entire digital ecosystem to, to maintain, oh, worry man, about it and hope that preserves. Only, yeah, it's hard. I mean, even it's hard for me even to, I mean, what it was like back in the eighties and nineties. I mean, it just, you just adapted with what there, there was a time when you actually had to ask and ask a girl for a number and then call that number, you know, from a rotary phone or a touch tone phone and uh, actually have a conversation with people. So. Well, it's, you know, those skills uh, as much as they might not, they may be, outdated in the sense that there's other ways to do it these days, uh, you know, they, they still are equally as effective, you know? And so, uh, kind of learning those, let's call them hard skills can still be, you know, quite a, you know, really powerful thing for, for people to adopt. And, you know, this kind of goes back to just the general idea of what you're able to do by, uh, you know, retranslating classical and important works, uh, into the modern world. And for your sort of the modern reader, like you described is, you know, it can be a real leg up to have access to that kind of information compared to the watered down or maybe soy down uh, stuff that we're getting today. <laughs> well said, <laughs> well said, Patrick. No, I like it. I like it. Uh, hey, that that uh, that that um, fleece that you're wearing. What is that? Uh, is that uh, is that the state of California there? Oh, this the- is actually uh, so it's it's reversed because of the camera, but it's a uh, it's Pangea. So. My company oh, is um, the original continent. Right? Yeah, the original okay. continent. Yeah. So that's the logo for my uh, solar company called uh, Better Earth. And so, oh, really? you know, we, yes. And so we, uh, you know, basically look at uh, we're, we're all about bettering the earth. Right. And uh, we believe, you know, it's kind of fun, better together, like the continents, you know. Well, that's great, Patrick. That's you know, it's funny. You mentioned it's funny. Plate tectonics, Pangea. I, I'm. I'm listening to an audio book now. I got out of the library. It's um, it's called uh, it's a book by Simon Winchester. It's called um, "The Crack in the Edge of the World." It's about the the great earthquake of San Francisco in in uh, ah. 1906, 
And he, I guess he's a geologist or was a geologist and it talks all about this plate. It's really fascinating. I, I, stuff I never knew, you know, he talks about the shifting of the plates and uh, how all these fault lines appeared. And, and uh, I don't know if you're interested in that sort of thing, but you might want to check that book out. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I've just started it, but it's, it's already, it's already. Uh, Sounds great. I mean, uh, that, that earthquake in particular always uh, is interesting to me as a California resident. Uh, you know, I have read a couple of books about the history of California and it seemed like the lead up to that and the, the people that were occupying California at that time, it was really a, you know, one, it was a whole different time than we're living in today. Uh, and, you know, sort of the growth of California and just the Western United States in general sort of stemmed from uh, what was happening in San Francisco with the gold mines, with, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, let's call it the yellow journalism of the day, you know, yeah. the William Randolph Hearst and the, uh, you know, competition for delivering information to people. Uh, you know, one amazing idea that that came out of that uh, sort of subject was how California was sort of built off of, essentially built off of lies where, uh, you know, the, the newspaper uh, printers, uh, were yeah. also uh, heavy investors in real estate. And they would, uh, you know, uh, glamorize uh, the gold rush, silver rush, get people to move to, you know, the other side of the country in search for these things. And, you know, the real profit was not in the minerals and in the mining, but rather in the increased cost of real estate to live in one of these cities. And so, you know, sort of the manipulation of the markets and the population to move out West is, you know, something that's interesting because when you look at that and then you look at what does our media do today that we're unaware of, what are the hidden motives of our media today? It can be a really fascinating topic to dive into. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great state, man. I, I, I would like to, I, my, the places in, in California that I've visited, I've you know, been to Los Angeles, uh, uh, in the eighties, I visited San Francisco on a, you know, and when I was uh, in the ROTC, I, I had to go on a cruise from San Diego to San Francisco and it's just a great city, but now it's totally changed. It's, I've heard it's like so in, insanely expensive. Now you can't even, you know, we can't even do I mean, it. You know, it's just, but you know, you've got Jack, I've written a few articles about Jack London, you know, for my site. And he's, I guess he had a, I forget the County Sonoma County, maybe that was where. I, I can't remember where he he had a house or has or had a ranch in in a county in in northern part of California, but it's a it's a great state, man. You know, it's a it's just got so much, you know, just variety, and you've got northern and central and southern. It's just a lot of just just a, a huge huge variety. So, I mean, I think it's got great know, potential. Right? I, I, I hope so. You know, it seems uh, it's interesting to see sort of the exodus of people, you know, uh, the weather was always something that would draw people here. And, uh, you know, I think that is being offset by you know, the high taxes, the uh, what they're allowing for the population to do. And, you know, like yeah. the homelessness, there's there's so many sort of critical issues here that uh, that the other part of the world or the other part of the country is completely isolated from. I mean, personally, you, you mentioned you went to MIT. I'm actually uh, from Boston originally. And oh, yeah? Yeah. And there, you know, there's the well, what, sort where, of... What, 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 this whole way, let's go back. What part of it? Where are you from originally? Uh, from the back? South Shore, from Weymouth. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in... Um, I mean, my my mother is from Somerville. Oh, wow. Boston. But I, I grew up in Westport, Mass. 
which Excellent. is right near Fall River, New Bedford. Yes. My, I've lost a little bit of my accent, but do you know that? Do you know where that is? Yeah, that's where my uh, my mother's family is from, Fall River. Oh Jesus, that's yep. great. Man. Yeah, yes. so I'm a I'm a I'm a Massachusetts guy. I mean, I I moved out to the Midwest, you know, back uh, well, my family moved out here back in the uh, late '80s when I was in college. I mean, my parents got better jobs here, so I, um, you know. By default, you it, beca- it just kind of becomes your your place of residence. But you know, I miss I, I my folks. Uh, they you know they've got a little place in uh, in Falmouth, and I go visit them or have been visiting them in this in this every summer. And you know, I miss the food and you know the the just the, uh, the kind of ambiance there. It's just you know you <laughs> yeah it, it gets it gets under your skin. I mean, I, I feel going back there is almost going back in time, you know, both with the, you know, the architecture of the city, you know, you go to Boston, you find that you're in, uh, you know, you're surrounded by colonial buildings and such. And then also just in the the mentality of the people there, there's something about those oh, yeah. people, they just stay there. Something about those harsh winters hardens the people, you know, it's almost like going back a generation in America to just so go. You moved, out to, you moved out West, like when you were like after school, I mean, did you, so you grew up in South Weymouth, right? And then you moved out to uh, California yeah, so, later? Yep. I grew up there for, uh, uh, I moved out when I was 22. I okay. uh, had been working in the solar right. industry at Solar City um, and then moved to the, a couple of friends and we started a solar company in Northern California, um, just outside of San Francisco. And then, you know, that sort of led me here to That's Los great, Angeles man. and uh, yeah, and just been riding the, uh, the solar coaster ever since. Hey, listen, I'm glad somebody's, Hey, listen, man, you're the, you're the, you're the guys are going to lead us out of this nightmare, man. We got to, you got to get these panels out there. We got to get wind. We got to get all that stuff, you know, wind, wind energy, solar energy, man, you know, that's I good. I mean, I think, uh, you know, domestic energy in general is, is great and anything that, you know, can provide, uh, you know, provides hundreds of thousands of jobs for, for Americans. So I think it's a, it's an interesting, you know, uh, interesting industry to be a part of, you know, I, I, I believe in, in, you know, just in general for young people to position themselves in front of, you know, growing industries, uh, you know, it increases your odds of success compared to, you know, now is probably not a good time to start a retail chain, you know, it's yeah. not, not, not a good idea. Um, <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as opposed to, you know, doing something that's sort of trending, you know, pick an industry that's trending towards, uh, you know, being adopted heavily and, and something that can also be, uh, you know, that you can ride through the political storm, because, you know, if you look at some, you know, both uh, the Trump administration and the Biden administration has sort of uh, allowed solar to continue to grow and continue to thrive. And, you know, even if uh, I'm not totally happy with the outcome of, you know, the political condition in California, it's, it's beneficial to the industry. Oh yeah, no, I think the future is really, I mean, I've never heard anybody say any, I think the solar cells, they seem to be getting more and more efficient with every few years, right? I mean, there's, there, they seem to be getting more and more, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, you know, this is something you know more, more about than I do, but, you know, I remember in Brazil, I visited uh, Northern uh, Fortaleza uh, about a year and a half ago and they had these huge wind, turbines there all through like all like all through the countryside um you know geothermal i, I guess that's not really as, as popular but i i think these alternative energies are, are are great and i hope i you know i i would do it i would sign up and if, if it was practicable but it, in, in certain parts of the country it's just not you know it's not really an option it, it's not available yeah. to anybody yet yet not yet anyway 
Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a, uh, you know, it's like, what's the value of solar versus what's the pain with your electric company. So in California, you know, one of the benefits of their financial mismanagement and, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. horrible governing is the fact that uh, their utility is vastly outdated. Uh, they shut down all of the local power plants, all the nuclear plants. And so uh, most of the energy is imported from, you know, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so the cost of delivery from that electricity is extremely high. About half of a customer, a California electric bill is actually just the cost to deliver the power to their home. And, you know, for that reason, you know, the people, the residents of California could pay two to three times the cost of energy as, as someone in Texas or Florida might pay. Yeah, I know, man. It's yeah, natural gas is really cheap out here in, in Kansas and uh, Oklahoma. It's it's uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, on the East Coast, you know, heating oil is the big thing, but out here, it's you know, gas, natural gas is 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 relatively cheap uh, for the moment, anyway. But um, yeah, man, I you know, we just we just gotta keep pursuing these things and just gotta keep uh, diversifying and uh, because nothing is permanent nothing is permanent nothing lasts forever and um you know we 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 just got to do it you know we just got to do it so what do you see as some of the you know are you generally optimistic or pessimistic about the uh you know the future here you know given everything that's going on in the past couple of years you know i'm by nature patrick i'm an optimist and i i i think i think you almost have to be and and i'll get but i'll give you my reasons the has always found a way. I mean, the, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there are severe uh, deficiencies, whatever. But organisms respond to stimuli. Uh, when when there are roadblocks, when there are challenges, when there are bottlenecks, we will find a way to to solve the problem. We will. We 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 have to. And I don't think our problems are so deeply ingrained and so deeply. Um, uh, hopeless that we can't solve them. I think a lot of our problems, and I've said this many times before in things I've written, essays, whatever, it comes down to moral corruption, the lack of virtue, lack of moral. Now, what I mean by that, I'm not talking about. Could you define virtue? Because I feel like that's like a, a word that you see in almost every ancient text, that, but doesn't get brought up much to these that's days. That's right. Um, okay. That's a good point. When I, when I use the word virtue, I mean it in, in its classical sense, the Latin virtus, virtus like meaning um, those qualities which promote um, mass, the masculine ideal, those qualities which promote uh, manhood and, um, and masculinity, things like uh, courage, justice, temperance, fortitude, endurance, uh, these types of qualities. It does not mean goody two shoes, like not being a teetotaling. I don't, I don't touch uh, alcohol, or I, I don't, uh, uh, you know, that that's not. So I have to be careful what what we what we say when we mean by that. Vir- virtue means manliness. It, it, it means the, the the classical qualities that make a man worth something. And traditionally, those those tra- those qualities were trained. You don't, you and I don't naturally. Uh, you know, know what, how to exercise them. We have to be taught either through circumstance, either through uh, a formal training, uh, through suffering and struggle. These things have to be taught. But one of the ways can be through, through reading, you know, com- if you combine it with other things. 
So we have grown very, um, as a very wealthy country, we've had decade after decade of lack of external hardships and challenges. People have just gotten to be very, very comfortable, very soft, frankly, corrupt. And when I say corrupt, I mean, they've lost their edge. They've lost their, there's just too much obesity. There's too much indulgence. There's too much, there's too much excuses that there's not enough hardness and there's, there's too much indulgence. And this is not just, I'm not just condemning, it's both men and women. It's all of us. It's all of us. And we have to purge that. We have to purge that from our, our, our culture. And it's not popular to say that, to talk about it. It's not popular because nobody wants to think of themselves as a, uh, a person who's a work in progress. But we, we have to. By any objective standard, we are not, uh, we, we've lost our hardness. And this, this makes us vulnerable to diseases of the mind, diseases of the body, diseases of the soul. So that's, that's what I mean by that. That's, it, it's, it's, it's luxury and it's wealth that, 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 uh, that sets us on this path to moral corruption. And so that's why you feel that, you know, a draft and other sort of intentional methods of hardening, you know, people is something that we need to yes. initiate. Yes. I'll give you my reasons. I can briefly give you my reasons for why I believe a draft is, is, is necessary and, and the, the best way to do this. Because the, the, the naysayers and the, the people who think that, who disagree with me are always going to say things like, well, we don't need it. And it, it's just, you're building a lot. No. When you actually have a draft, when you take young men and women from all walks of life, some guy from, from Bangor, Maine, some guy from San Francisco, California, somebody from Ogden, Utah, somebody from Biloxi, Mississippi, and you throw them together, Patrick, they're going to learn about each other. They're going to learn to collectively, they're going to learn that they have more in common than they have differences. And in one stroke, you're going to get rid of all these uh, psychological barriers about, oh, this guy's different from me, or this guy's from, this, this person's from a different ethnic group than me. He's different. He's, you know, you're, 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 you're tearing down all these stereotypes in one fell swoop. You're throwing people together. You're forcing them to get along because all this goddamn bullshit that, that that's out there now about all this gender politics, identity politics, all this stuff is a, a result of people hiding people who are trying to hide behind these little totems to make themselves feel good. It's all bullshit, okay? Everybody is equally in need of training and education. And if you get these young people and you throw them all together, you're going to have good things happen. You're going to tear down all these barriers. You're going to provide the youth with a common experience to build on. You're going to, they're all, they, they will all uh, know what it means to, uh, to hump a pack through a, a, an obstacle course. They're gonna know what it means to run three miles. They're gonna know what it means to do pull-ups, to do push-ups, to go on land navigation, to struggle, to suffer together. It's gonna provide a formative experience for all of our young people that we critically, critically need because right now, everybody's off doing their own thing. This group is off doing its own thing. This group is off doing its own thing. This other group is doing, a, and each one of them is full of shit. Each one of them thinks that they're God's uh, special uh, creatures, they're special. They're not special. You're not special. You're all part of the same chemical organic substances that need to be broken down, smashed, and then remade into something better. So that's the first, the first thing. 
That's the first thing. The other thing is it has pr the practical benefit of, of giving, of promoting a culture of physical fitness that we desperately, desperately need. Right, everyone knows that the obesity epi epidemic is out of control. This helps at least provide an example of how to get out of that, okay? So it's got nothing to do with military or you want a big army, although, and, and, and frankly, I guess the final, uh, you know, benefit is, yeah, you're gonna have a core of, of um, a cadre of trained, of militarily trained people that will be able to pick up a rifle and defend their country, be proud of their country, if the situation calls for that to happen. In my opinion, it, it should have happened a long time ago, but they don't want to do that because they always have these excuses and, and whatever. But I, I'm a big believer in it, and that's just my opinion. You know, I, I agree with you. You know, I think you make some great points, and I think it's, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, it can sound really crazy for us to say, uh, you know, like, oh, we should be, you know, have military preparedness, uh, you know, we should force people into any, you know, program like that. But I think we're, we're dealing with the consequences of not having that stuff today. Uh, you know, it's brutal, you know, there's really no good, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not going to go to college and, uh, you know, if you, in, for my, you know, keep in mind going to college can cost, you know, a crazy amount of money, huge loans and all that thing. It's very unattractive to many, uh, especially men. It's very unattractive to a lot of younger men who don't want to take on that yeah. burden or know they can't pay for it. If you don't do that, if you don't go to a trade school, um, then you're very much on your own in the marketplace without tangible skills. Uh, and, you know, there's, you know, you could go on and on about some of the issues that men face today in the United States uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, lack of education, you know, suicide rate, going to prison, you know, not having those kinds of, uh, not having sort of purpose and meaning in life is I think where you're finding a lot of the issues. Uh, right. And so to have something like that, to have sort of a, a program that everyone's going through that sort of unifies people, uh, like you said, breaks down some of those illusions about what the other, the rest of the country might be like and what other people in other areas or other ethnicities might be like, uh, you know, I could see that having a tremendous value. Yeah, men men are in men need it more than ever now because, like you said, our our values, our needs are not being are not being addressed. I mean, we're being we're being shamed and denigrated and marginalized, uh, and it's going to have very very uh, deleterious uh, effects. But we're going to learn one way or the other, you know, one way or the other. But um, I hope that I live long enough to see it. That's all I can say. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, I, I would anticipate so. I mean, I, I would, I would expect some, uh, you know, at, at the rate that we're headed at the sort of accelerated speed that change is occurring at right now, I, I don't think it'll be long. And, uh, you know, I would give it 10 years before we find ourselves at sort of a breaking point where, you know, the world that we're living in today between, you know, sort of the, uh, the old world of the past and the institutions that we relied on are, are not, you know, there's a huge conflict between those institutions and sort of the, the American dream and the constitution and all these things that, uh, you know, I think is still very important for people to rally behind. And so I think, uh, that it's probably going to come to a head pretty soon and we're going to have to, it's going to be some right. significant changes. I think you're right, Patrick. I agree with you. He looked that, that uh, on the bookshelf behind you there, that guy on that, who, who is that? That face looks familiar to me. <laughs> That's uh, Elon Musk. The uh, oh, okay. the leader of the meme already, <laughs> army as of today. 
<laughs> you know, he looks he looks older in that picture for some reason. I've never seen him with a suit on like that. Yeah, it's I guess he, he's mostly casual, but uh, yeah, you know, Elon, I think is, you know, like, thank God for Elon Musk, because, uh, you know, he's one of the few people out there who's really defined the odds, you know, who can, oh, yeah. uh, you know, fly in the face of the establishment can fly in the face of the haters, and, uh, you know, build, you know, be tremendously successful. Um, you know, he's, he, yeah, you know, between building rocket ships that land themselves, starting a, an electric car company that's extremely successful and, uh, you know, all the other ventures that he's on, you know, I think it's, it's critical for people to have those kinds of role models to know that things are possible. Cause without, oh, yeah. without people like Elon or, or some of the other amazing entrepreneurs alive today, I think, uh, we'd be in a much more gloomy situation. Oh, well, that's great. Now the guys I've got on my wall behind me, I've got, Colonel Roosevelt on one wall. And I've got uh, oh, love that President Lincoln on on the other wall. There two. I had I had these two original photos, like you know, enlarged and framed. And I tell you, it's it's nice. It's good to have people on your wall that you that you can draw inspiration from. Sure, and I mean, even you know, I, I love you know both of those. I, I huge fan of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Read um, you know some some of the works about him, and you know, I think it's it's this kind of brings it full circle as far as both the content that you procure, as far as translating ancient materials to, you know, being able to dive into the biographies of great people in the past, you know, yeah. it gives your, you know, it, it's like setting up a panel for you to bounce ideas off of, you know, if you can lodge the mindset of someone like Teddy Roosevelt or Elon Musk or Cicero into your, you know, into your subconscious. And then yeah. as you navigate your way through life, be able to, sort of virtually bounce those ideas or theoretically bounce those ideas off of what would this person do in this situation? Uh, right. You know, it gives you, uh, it gives you strong footing because not, you know, it's, it, they're solidified in history as great people for doing great things and having accomplished a lot. So by finding some of those waypoints throughout history, some of those high points, some of those high frequency individuals, uh, you know, you can hopefully find yourself with a similar fate. It, it, that's exactly right, man. That's why, that's why it's so important to read biographies because you ask yourself, well, what, what would I do in this situation? Or what would, what would so-and-so do? And I, I do the same thing, man. I do it all the time. Well, that's, that's interesting as well. Uh, you know, in, in preparation for this podcast, I had to look up, uh, you know, Quintus Curtius and, <laughs> uh, and it turns out that uh, in addition to being your, your pen name is the, uh, he was the uh, biographer for Alexander the Great. Is that, could you, t could you tell me how that came to be? Oh man, you know, honestly, Patrick, I, I wish I could tell you that it was part of some, you know, planned, uh, you know, there was some, there's something, uh, story behind it, but honestly it was, it was something where when I started writing, I looked over at my bookshelf, I saw the life of Alexander on there and I said, well, this, this seems like a pretty cool sounding name. I'll just, I'll just use that one, you know, so that, that's as far as it went. There's no hidden meaning behind it or anything, uh, but, and, you know, for some reason it, it just stuck. Uh, I don't know. I'm not, maybe that's a good, the best sign that it was the right, I, I picked the right one because people, especially on Twitter, like you see a lot of guys, they, they use the initials QC, AQC. So that, that seems to, seems to be the, the name that people prefer to use for me. So you know, I'll answer to, I'll answer to it. You know, it's, sure. it, it fits at this point. 
Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I think both the, uh, you know, I'm excited to dive into some of your translations and, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of your Twitter feed. So I recommend everyone to, you know, give, go give you a follow Thanks. because, you know, the, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, an accumulation of, of ancient knowledge and, and real life experience that, that is hard to find these days. So I, I think it, you know, I really think it's great stuff and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Hey, thank you, Patrick. Well, I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And, uh, you know, I try to also keep a sense of humor as well. And but like I said, it, uh, um, a little bit of um, wild nonsense goes a long way when you're dealing with serious subjects. So I try to keep you guys laughing as well. Excellent. You do a great job to do that. So, so, um, where should, uh, where should people find you online? Where do you, where do you like for them to, uh, to engage with you? Yeah, my, well, my, uh, my website, um, Quintus Curtius is, uh, the website is a uh, Q courteous.com. It's a Q C U R T I U S.com. Uh, Twitter feed, um, is at, uh, Quintus Curtius. And you can find me there. And, uh, it, you know, there's on this tabs, anyone that has any questions for me can email me at uh, qcurtius at gmail.com. And I, I respond, I respond to my email, to all my emails. So, so I'll promise to do that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, it's been a real honor to be able to talk to you today. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I could ask you questions for eternity. So we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, I really appreciate your time today. No, I thank you, Patrick. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, uh, feel free to you know reach out anytime and uh, keep the fires burning and keep the morale up. Excellent. But before we uh, come to a close here, do you have any final words, asks, requests, or just general advice for the audience? Um, no, you know, I, I I just the only I guess the only words of advice that I may have uh, learned from you know, just meeting with clients for 21 years and, and just my various life experiences, just, you know, you have to stay positive. You, you, you know, you have to, you never know when the worm is going to turn for you. You never know when things, just when you think that things are hopeless, when things are shrouded in negativity is when your chance will come and you've got to be there to seize it. So never give up. It's not, you've heard it before, you've heard it before, but it, it doesn't mean that it's not true never give up, hang in there, keep fighting and hit them hard and keep hitting the sons of bitches. Love it. Hey, thanks again. All right. Take care, Patrick. You as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.